I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. We're going to begin reading here in just a few moments in verse 11, and we're going to go through the end of this chapter in a message entitled, Welcome Home. Ruth Graham is the daughter of Billy Graham. She shared at her father's funeral some time back how at the age of 36 years old, and a mother of three, her husband was unfaithful. And as a result of that, the marriage ended, and she moved closer to her older sister afterward, and later on ended up marrying another man. It was against the advice of everyone who was around her who cared about her and was concerned with her, and she described herself in her own words as stubborn, willful, and sinful. She said she knew almost immediately after the marriage had taken place that she had made a mistake. After only five weeks, she left, afraid of the man that she had married. She began a two-day drive to her parents' home in the mountains of North Carolina, and she said there were all sorts of thoughts that were running through her mind. What will I say to daddy and mother and to my children who at that point in her life were grown. She said, I'd been a failure. I wound my way up the mountain to the house and rounded the last turn. My father was standing there waiting for me. And as I got out of the car, he wrapped his arms around me and he said, welcome home. There was no shame, no condemnation, just unconditional love. And then she said this, My father was not God, but he showed me what God was like that day. When we come to God with our sin, brokenness, failures, and pain, God says, welcome home. And that invitation is open for you. In a written piece at billygram.org, she wrote, I know what it is to thirst for forgiveness. I have pursued it with passion I've stretched to lay hold of it, and I've melted into the arms of God, restored because of it. In Luke chapter 15, we're reminded that lost people matter to God. And people who are wandering far from God matter to Him. And not only do they matter to Him, but He seeks after them. And there's rejoicing in heaven when even one sinner repents. There are 14 parables that are found only in the Gospel of Luke. The first seven are parables of divine mercy. In chapter 15, Jesus tells the last of three parables in that set in response to the criticism of the Pharisees, the religious leaders who were not happy that Jesus would have anything to do with the tax collectors and the sinners. The passage before us today is one that is very well known to many people in the prodigal son as told by Jesus. I think the parable's common title that we would refer to it as in the prodigal son probably puts the focus in the wrong place. Actually, the story gives more attention to the father and his reaction to the son's return, as well as how the father dealt with the older son's 
resentment and his character in the process. So perhaps a better title would be the parable of the forgiving father. At any rate, we're going to learn about a compassionate father who extends genuine forgiveness, who brings us into loving fellowship with him. Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11, uh, he also said, a man had two sons. Jesus is telling this parable. The younger of them said to the father, father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and Say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now verse 25, his older son was in the field. As he came near the house... He heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's briefly review and summarize this story. The three main characters here could be the focus of a reality TV show. You've got a rich patriarch, an elder son who's the responsible one, and the younger son, who is the proverbial wild child. Throughout the lives of these two sons, the father's home and provision have been available to them. 
So the younger son determines that he wants to receive his inheritance early from his father. That would have been permissible in those days if the father wanted to, in fact, give it to him. But the problem was he didn't just want an inheritance. He wanted to go do what he wanted to do. He wanted to be out from under the authority of his father. And the younger son request was motivated by his own greed. So he goes to a far country. He wastes what he's been given on prodigal living, extravagant recklessness. And without the father's restraining influence, he throws away everything that he has. Now we'd have to note here, it was probably fun while it lasted. That's how sin is in the moment. It seems alluring. It seems like it's going to bring us a payoff. It seems like it's going to bring us the pleasure that we're looking after, but we never think about the consequences that come with it. And here he is, driven by his own greed, and he finds himself in a place of need and hunger. Coupled with it was a famine. The famine made things go from bad to worse. As the money ran out, so also did any other provision that he could possibly get. So he takes on work that any Jewish person would have found offensive because swine were unclean under the law after all. The Jewish Talmud states, Cursed is the man who raises swine, and cursed is the man who teaches his son Greek philosophy. It was an important consideration for them, the type of work that they would do. His misery causes him to come to himself in that moment, and he decides to go back home to his father. So he prepares what he's going to say. What am I going to say when I get back in the presence of my father? I won't even ask to be treated as a son. I'll simply ask to be treated as a servant. When he comes home, while he's still ways off, I can picture it. His father sees him, and he runs to him, falls on his neck, and kisses him. And the son said, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. The father instructed that the best robe be brought out and put on his son, that a ring of honor be put on his finger, that sandals be put on his feet, that the fatted calf be prepared for the celebration. And here was this younger brother coming back home. Meanwhile, the older son was out in the field. He comes near the house. He hears the noise, the celebration. He wonders what is it that's going on at the house? And he's not happy. He's angry, in fact. He's resentful over what's happening with his younger brother. And he doesn't appreciate even what he has. Now, let's draw some lessons from this story that we can apply to our own lives. Lesson number one, there is a compassionate father. Now, parables have symbols. Some parables are more ambiguous than others. The meanings are more hidden than in others. That is not the case in this parable. This parable is quite clear who represents what and the significance of these symbols. The father here represents God the father. The father who was wiser than the son in the story would have known that there would be potentially consequences to the son for giving him what he selfishly wanted early in his inheritance before it was time. 
The son who left with his early inheritance put himself in a place where nobody truly cared for him where he went, and he was wandering far from his father. Where was the father while all of this was going on? He was at home where he had always been. He spent the time after his son left waiting and watching. And the father loved his son, not because of what the son had done or what the son had not done. He loved his son simply because he was his son. And the son was loved even when he was distant from his father. Looking for him. Waiting for that son to return home. Verse 20 says specifically, His father saw him and was filled with compassion. It says in verse 24, This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So it was in his compassion that the relationship with the father secured the position for the son. And it was only the father who was in the position to restore the son to full sonship in the family. And there is nothing that we can do on our own to restore our relationship with the holy God. It's only because the father cares for us and extends his compassion toward us. It's a reminder for those of us who maybe are praying for the prodigals in our lives, whether it be a son or a daughter or a grandson or a granddaughter or perhaps a brother or a sister, that ultimately we can't bring about the change that needs to happen in their lives. Only God the Father can do that. And he calls and he waits. In his compassion, the father also took on the shame for his son. I think any time when we read the Bible, It's important to try to read it in context as much as we possibly can because when we find context, it gives us a little bit more understanding of what's taking place. And in that first century context, a man typically never ran unless he was in danger. And if he did run, he would have to pull up his tunic and secure it. And when he pulled up his tunic to secure it, that meant that his legs were exposed. And when his legs were exposed, that would uh, essentially be shameful to him. So why did the father run out to meet the son and take on that type of circumstance? Well, in that time, it was also common when someone had gone to a far country and blown it, by their lives, by their lives and by their living, that the community itself would also reject them when they came home. There's a ceremony that they would go through actually when the person came back and they would basically ban them and tell them that what they had done had shamed them all. So the father was running out not only to greet his son, but the father was running out to get to him before everybody else got to him. Because if the father welcomed him home, then everybody would have to welcome him eventually. And this was a sign in itself of the compassion that the father had for his son. And he showed love for him. He wrapped his arms around him and kissed him because he was happy that he had returned. A.W. Tozer, in the knowledge of the holy, said, Because God is self-existent, his love has no beginning. Because he is eternal, his love can have no end. Because God is infinite, his love has no limit. 
And because God is holy, it's the essence of all spotless purity. And because God is immense, his love is an incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless sea. And it was in his compassion that the Father extended grace to the Son. You know what grace is? It's when we get what we don't deserve. It's a gift. And God lavishes his grace on us. His grace in the scripture is said to come to us super abundantly, to fill us and to the point of overflowing. The father brings out the best robe. He brings the ring and he brings the sandals and the fattened calf and he gives to his son what he did not deserve. Why? Because he's a compassionate father and he had love for his son. Lesson number two. There is genuine forgiveness. Now, a prodigal is defined as a person who spends their money or their substance with wasteful extravagance. We might refer to them as a spendthrift. That's the situation with the younger son. And you know what sin causes people to do? Sin causes people to run from authority so that they can be their own boss. Here's this younger son who longed to live out from under the authority of his father He thinks it's going to be better there. He thinks if he can just get off and do what he wants to do and get away from these restrictions that he has with his father, I'm only young once, so I want to do what I want to do. And that's what sin causes us to do. In fact, the best case scenario is not to have to pray for a prodigal who decides that's the best thing to do but for the Lord to show all of us that that's not where true peace and joy is found. And when people go in that direction, they tend to squander their blessings. This man received his inheritance early. Did he invest it and use it well? No. Did he manage it well, said go a long way? No. He just threw it away on wild living. He just lived it up in the moment. But what inevitably happens when people go down this road, what happens when people try to break off from the authority and the safety of that relationship with God is that it always comes to misery. And when the famine came, verse 15 indicates that he went and he had to hire himself out to a citizen of that country. He hired himself out to a Gentile, a terribly humiliating situation for a Jew. He was a day laborer, the very lowest, low, lowest of servants. He was sent to take care of the pigs. He's so hungry and desperate that he wants to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. And yet nobody gives him anything to help him. Now I want you to think about this just for a moment. In those awful circumstances, what drew the son back to the forgiveness of the Father. Undoubtedly, he had forgotten a lot of things at this point, but you know what he had not forgotten? He had not forgotten that he had a Father who loved him. He had unrelenting memories of home. He longed to be with his Father. But what he failed to realize in that moment is that that longing that he had to be back home and to be with his Father was a longing that his father shared as well. And the son was heavy on the conscience of his father. 
who had continued to look for him even though he was gone. But note verse 17. There's a turning point. Here's what it says. He came to his senses. Or it might be translated as, he came to himself. Did you know that there is a turning point for every person at the heart of repentance, which causes us to change our mind and then to change our behavior? It causes us to realize the circumstances that we've gotten ourselves in under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. And we realize that there's no ultimate answer in those miserable circumstances that we find ourselves in. And when we have that change of mind that leads to a change of behavior, we come to ourselves. And please note here, had he stopped short of going home, he would have only experienced regret and remorse not genuine repentance. And it was the goodness of the Father, not just the badness of the Son, if you will, that brought him to this place and drew him toward repentance. And so it will be for us, if we find ourselves in this circumstance, or for people that we're praying for, that we care about, It will be the goodness of the Father, recognizing that there is genuine forgiveness to be found that is going to bring us back into the fold. And the good news of the gospel is that it doesn't matter where you've come from or what you've done or what your backstory is or how deep and dark the sin is or how desperate the circumstances of your life seem to be in the moment, you are not outside of the reach of a forgiving Father who will welcome you home. There's genuine forgiveness. Lesson number three, there is loving fellowship. Now, part of the irony of this story is that in our sin, as we've already noted, we think we can find satisfaction and peace in a far country, distant from God, symbolically speaking, of course, When in reality, the only place we can find it is at home with God. When we talk about uh, repentance and we talk about home and even home in a physical sense, it brings up all sorts of emotions and thoughts and, and it draws us towards something that is almost difficult to explain. There was an article in the U.S. News and World Report written some years ago by Philip Moeller entitled, Why Our Homes Make Us Happy. And here's what he wrote. He said, it's no wonder anthropologists and aging experts say uh, that we often say people are going home to God when they die. And it's no wonder that we bring our fallen military heroes home to rest. And it's no wonder that we drive all night to get home instead of stopping. And then he quoted Graham Rolls, a university professor who said, there is a pretty strong amount of evidence that the environment in which people live is closely linked to their well-being. Now, let's draw a spiritual parallel to that. There is strong biblical evidence that the spiritual environment in which people live is closely linked to their well-being. 
If you're at home with God and you're experiencing the compassion of a, a father who loves you, if you're forgiven of your sins and you know that you can stand in right standing with God, that brings a security, that, that brings a foundation to your life that nothing else can bring. And when you're at home with him, he draws you into this loving fellowship. As the story develops, the younger son comes home to be with his father. And what does he find? He finds a loving fellowship. And we speak of home metaphorically, but it's so important because our spiritual home is with God. That's what we're being drawn toward. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. And if we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. And if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us of all our sins. So the call to to come home is a call to step into the light of God and to receive forgiveness from him. And to experience the embrace of a heavenly father who loves us with an eternal love. And to experience the fellowship that is with him through his son Jesus. And fellowship with God always starts with God. Too often we start with a self-centered mindset. What am I going to get out of it? How am I going to be happy? What's Christianity going to do for me? How's this going to make my life better? When in reality, the only place and the only way that we can find answers to those very questions is by leaving behind our self-centeredness and experiencing what God has for us. Now, we cannot miss the contrast here. Not only is there a younger brother, there's also an older brother. And you wonder when you read that, Why would Jesus even bring him into the story? It would have been easier just to wrap the story up and make the conclusion. But here's this older brother that we've got to deal with in the middle of this parable. And the older brother did not think that he had disobeyed the father, but in reality, his act of unforgiveness was a sin of disobedience. He didn't feel like he was a part of the family And he was jealous and resentful and prideful and complaining. He even publicly insults his father by his refusal to participate in the celebration at home. Now, here's why Jesus includes this older brother. We come back to context again. Because the older brother is an illustration of the muttering Pharisees and teachers of the law that Jesus has been dealing with. In this very section, those Pharisees and teachers of the law who could find no uh, joy, no pleasure when sinners repented because of their own self-righteousness and indignation. When Jesus described the wayward son, they were probably disgusted by his actions. They're probably thinking, thank God we're not like that younger son. It's a good thing that we're not like him. And then when the older son tells the father, all these years I've been serving you and I've never disobeyed you. The religious leaders are probably thinking, now there's somebody we can relate to. He's the good one. He's the one who's our example. 
And Jesus drives home the point of the older brother to make the greater point that both of them were, in effect, lost. And both of them, in effect, needed to be found. The father actively goes after the older brother. And yet he did not realize his own need. In the book, The Prodigal God by Tim Keller, Keller says that people tend to fall into two uh, categories. He said the younger brother types are the ones who are adventurous and risk-taking. They distrust institutions. They shake off constraints. They desire to experience all that life has to offer. And when they sin, they sin big and bold, and everybody knows it. But then he says this, the older brother types are the rule keepers and the people pleasers who work stable, predictable jobs and hold traditional values and are risk-averse. Many faithful church attendees are elder brother types who tend to see themselves as good and other people as bad. If only everybody could be more like them, the world would be a better place. And then Keller says this, Jesus' parable reminds us that the ones who are truly lost are the ones who at first don't realize their need. And we need to make sure we don't fall into the trap of pride, anger, resentment, and indignation. Let me give you this thought and we're going to come toward a close. God stands ready to welcome home anyone who will come to him. Now something about this story bothers me a little bit. It's left open-ended. Don't open-ended stories frustrate you just a little bit. It's like the worst movies ever have an unclear or ambiguous ending. And you're like, what happened? And in this story, did the older brother ever come to the celebration? Did he ever reconcile to his younger brother? What, what was the result of the younger brother's life? We've got all these unresolved things that are going on in our story here. But here's why I think Jesus leaves it open-ended. He leaves it open-ended because you get to be a part of the ending of your life's story. When you put yourself in the middle of this story that's going on here, and you consider where you are in your relationship with God, when God works in your heart, you get to be a part of the ending. And if you come to the Father, He will welcome you home. He will forgive you of your sins. He will bring you into a loving fellowship with Him. And I want to tell you today that there is no place like home. There's no place like home in fellowship with the Father who has given His only Son for you. Let's bow our heads together just for a moment. As we come toward a time of prayer and response and invitation, maybe you can see yourself in that story as one who was lost and has been found, who was wandering and has been brought back into the fold. 
Would you take just a moment to thank God for what he's done for you? Would you thank him for the gospel and for giving his son to live and to die and to now live again for you? Draw close to the Father in the fellowship that he has for you. But I know enough to know that in a group this size especially, there are a lot of prodigals that are represented. There's some heavy burdens that are represented in this room. And for those that are listening, you might have one of those sons or daughters or a grandson or a granddaughter, a brother, a sister, a loved one who has wandered far from God. Maybe your faith has been tested because of it. I want you to know today that God has not forgotten your burden and he's not forgotten the one who is far from him. Would you take just a moment to lift up that name to the throne of God and say, God, I believe that you can do a work in their life. Only you can do that work. Maybe you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you were honest today, you'd say, I've never been saved. I I know I've not been forgiven. I know I'm not in loving fellowship with God Almighty. He's inviting you to come home to Him. If you'd be willing today to repent and believe, God will save your soul. And you can find yourself at home with him now and be at home with him eternally. Would you take that step of faith? Here in just a few moments after we pray and sing, I'll be in the front. I'd love to talk with you, answer any questions you have, encourage you, and help you take those next steps as we close out our service together. God, we thank you today that you're the God of hope, the God of forgiveness, the God of deliverance. You've heard the names that have been quietly voiced in this room. You know the burdens that are heavy on the hearts of your people. Lord, may you encourage us and continue to help us to believe that what we're not able to do, you are able to do, and that you are able to do what seems like it's impossible to us. So Father, bless us to that end. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, be our encourager. I pray, Lord, if there be even one today that wants to step into your family through repentance and faith, that wants to come home to you, that they'd be willing to do so. And God, we know you'll stand ready to receive them. Lord, we long to be at home with you in heaven. These flashes of home that we get here, if we're blessed to be in a loving environment and we're blessed to be in a church home like this, we, we see those flashes of what eternity is going to be like and it just makes us hunger that much more. And we look forward to that day when we're going to be eternally welcomed home to you. And in the meantime, I pray that you'd find us faithful, faithful with the gospel, faithful with our lives faithful to be a blessing to others. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.